Excellent. Right. We'll get on to digital transformation in a minute. But you are you're red from the red side of Manchester. I am, yes. You what, have what, to go all the way to Stockport to find the blue side. <laughs> what's your what's your thoughts on the season? Um It's in your notes, is it? Well <laughs> God. Um big ambitions at the start, but I went to the game at the weekend and it wasn't great. No. Um it was I went to relax and it was about a hundred minutes of uh, kind of nervousness and stress, especially with the added time that we're doing these days. Yeah, yeah, so ten minutes extra time. Ten minutes. Yeah, it was great. And we're f- two goals down after four minutes. So yeah, not good. <laughs> not good. No, no, football's not going well. I think it's going to the other, the, the blue side of Manchester this yeah, season. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah. So welcome to the podcast, Ali Orak. Have I got that right? You have. Excellent. That's Excellent a good start. I don't always. That's <laughs> me. Uh, so, Professor in Digital Transformation at Manchester University. Yes. So, I thought I'm interested in what's your, what's your definition of digital, digital transformation? Would you, what does that mean? Are you willing to exchange? We'll do an exchange. Yeah, go on then. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, then we'll, I'll just we'll, copy you. Yeah, and you can maybe, well, you can decide. Okay. If, uh, I'll be the judge. Yeah, you'll be the judge. How, <laughs> how, how, close, uh, how close we get it. So, for me... At digital transformation it's it's about reimagining an organization's the way they they might um kind of uh, the way they do things in a nutshell and how they can better create value so it's about reimagining the processes that they have it's kind of uh, and for me the digital aspect is about identifying and designing and implementing new technologies that can be enablers of of that change so it's about identifying I guess avenues uh, which we can modify, change, or create new things uh, that can enhance and add value, maybe through innovation, uh, an organization's approach to a particular activity or a set of activities. So that's what it means to me. And it goes all the way to that, you know, uh, at one end, the the way systems are designed, the the way requirements are captured, the way systems are designed, uh, the way that they are. Uh, modified to fit within the specific organization and then um, on the other side of it as well the take up of that technology to enhance a way an organization will do something it's it's where I guess is encompassed by that term digital transformation so for me it's all of those things very good yeah I'd, I'd, I'd follow that um, yeah I think I think you're right I think it's for me it's about you know, how you can enhance or remodel the business model of an organization using technology and i think that that differs massively from industry to industry sector to sector if you take something like construction which has been a very quite tradi- traditional sector for for many years you've got things like building information management coming into that which is, is going to revolutionize that sector i think and it's going to change it from probably construction to actually more more akin to manufacturing and underpinned by digital and if you look at retailers distributors Back in the day, it was shop fronts and it was catalogs. And again, you've got now e-commerce. I know it's, it's not a new thing, but that's come in over the last 15, 20 years and re-changed that whole business model around a retailer and distributor. I think mean, that's it. It's taking technology and thinking, how can you enhance, remodel that, that, that business model? Yeah. So, yeah. The principles of doing all those things, kind of the concrete, they remain the same day. Uh, very rarely do they change. Um, but the technologies and I guess the different industries that need these transformations do change. Yeah. So some of the pillars, 
I guess they they evolve more slowly, uh, but the technology is at such a massive speed, and it's about trying to couple those two things to uh, to enhance a particular area or domain. This is not where I thought we'd jump off, but I will we'll, I'll dive into this. So, because you, you work a lot with businesses, don't you, in terms of working closely with or with local businesses to understand what they want around employees. Is that fair to say? Work. It, it depends what the question is. So is the ask about what uh, organizations uh, need in terms of skill sets? Yeah. Organizations? Is that skill sets and, and knowledge within within new graduates coming through? Yes, I, I do. Quite unusually, I'd say within academia, because the way academia tends to work um, is that programs exist they've been designed at a particular point in time by the academics and they are designed really around the skill set that a department or a school would have or the academics would have so you'd basically look at your staff you go well, these are the kind of things we can deliver this is kind of the program we want mm. and that's how it's it's traditionally been developed and designed um, the way uh, I've kind of approached that is, is very different I've looked at the kind of skill sets that industry was seeking and needed and then we've gone and worked with industry to to incorporate that in a program and develop a program around those needs and so we, I work quite closely with industry as my partners I think they're kind of essential if mm -hmm. you're trying to develop students in this day and age um, and I work quite closely with my students as partners because they're experts in how they like to engage in education and develop um, so I work quite closely with them to get their needs so I work with both I guess industries partners and students as partners to create the program that we have um, quite fundamental as academics uh, traditionally you would say academics when when you deliver I guess a lecture uh, or you teach it's kind of it's molded between your expertise uh, and knowledge of a subject area that you you know you know very well and you've got lots of experience and then is your experience from industry now some academics will have no experience from industry because they've gone through uh, academic institutions and they've come all the way through to being a, uh, a lecturer while some may may have you know uh, a lot of it uh, but but one thing is sure is that not everyone's got the same experience coming into uh, to teach at university. So what we rely on is that expertise from industry to come in to enhance kind of the theoretical side that academics are really good at knowing uh, and mixing those two things together so that what tends to happen is um, as industry, industry is quick at moving, especially in the technology sector. So we need industry to come and speak and inform us of what skills sets have changed, what's evolved, what needs more of, what needs less of, um, in order for the, to couple that. Um, and once you do that, you're kind of changing the way uh, the way teaching happens uh, automatically. So instead of it being teacher-centric, uh, where academic stands at the front and says, these are my experiences and this is what I know, you're moving yourself to a model where it's more student-centric or more employee-centric, uh, whereby you bring in that knowledge from the outside world that's moving at a rapid pace and you're aligning that with what students' perceptions of that is. Uh, so when you go into a classroom, 
instead of it being kind of uh, didactic where you're standing there and saying this is lots of knowledge mm. and information you should really be interested in this you kind of open it up to say well what do you know mm. what do we all know and where should this go so the environment that you create um you could potentially develop a very much student-centric with that information coming from the from the employers to enhance it and it's a different university i think is a different university experience for sure and we're very fortunate to have one of your ex-students with us so will nevis business process consultant at spectrum so one you, you were fortunate enough to to be a student of, of ali not not that long ago a few years ago no, a few years ago how yeah. many years uh what got there in 2017 left okay. in after year placement left in 21 so a long couple of years ago a couple of years ago yeah yep. so it's i think everything you said there is completely true for me i think it was definitely evident that when on the course it felt different to other people and the fact you've got these large companies coming in um and getting a lot of feedback from students those did feel like they played a big part in what we learned um and looking back now it definitely was beneficial to, I think, have the, the big companies come in and, and show us what the working world is like because I think it's quite common for graduates to leave university and not really have much, have all, all the theory, all of it there, mm -hmm. but they don't have much practical experience and much practical um, knowledge of the working world to be able to apply that. <coughs> and I think that's quite a crucial skill that I think has set um, myself and a lot of the other grads um, from the course on, on, on a fairly fairly good path and we're something we're quite thankful for. Yeah, I did business studies ten years ago, and I don't I don't remember ever speaking to engaging with mm. any sort of business or organisation other than the university. So I think it's it's obviously a very different model, which is which is great. In terms of when when organisations are speaking to you, in terms of what what the the trends are or what they're after, what the skill sets they're looking for, what are they talking about in the last two or three years? Are there certain things that they're saying we, we must have? must help us build knowledge in this area within within students the certain areas yeah so when i when i speak to the companies I'd, i've done a variety of ways of kind of trying to collate that information and that insight so a few years back i, I did a, a over a couple of years i did multiple surveys with employers where i was just saying you know in terms of um, management skill sets because you know I do work at a business school so you know what are those management mm. uh, skill sets that you guys are interested in and and then also I you know we teach technology and management so it was more also what kind of technologies are yeah. out there that you guys are focusing on that you think there's a, a shortfall in the skill sector and it was a combination of both but what was interesting was a lot of employers recruit degree blind so you know up to like 70 percent of the large companies don't really look at uh, what your degree background is so if you're applying to one of the big uh, consulting companies um, you might be sat just before you go for your interview you might be sat in a room uh, with someone who's studied history or biology and you're sat there thinking hold on I'm going for an IT consultancy mm -hmm. job I've got a background in computer science or, or uh, you know um, business uh, and IT uh, and I'm in competition here with someone from history who, mm. who happens to have done well in their degree. Um, and then you, you, you kind of feel maybe a little bit miffed about it that you've done that and someone's done something else and they're on the same track as you. But organizations, you know, they, they look at uh, your resilience, your confidence, adaptability, your communication skills, uh, whether you can work it in a team, leadership, problem solving skills. That's the kind of things they're looking for. and. For some organisations, especially the larger ones, 
they feel that they can train you with the technical skills um, that they need and they require, but it's the other stuff um, that's more challenging to develop uh, over a short period of time. So a lot of the companies would have informed me over the years that those are the key skills that they're looking for. So the way we kind of approached the development of our program um, was it was an, it was an, a term that was used uh, first and foremost by an organization that was in some, uh, one of the workshops that was running. And um, I remember they said, you know, we really want T-shaped individuals. Um, and I remember reaching for my phone at that point, trying to Google what T, you know, T-shaped individuals was. Um, and with this idea that we, we're, we're looking for individuals who've got a broad range of management skills and a deep dive in maybe two or three streams of technology that we feel is key. Um, so then it became a question of well, what are those key uh, key streams of technology which might mm. be which might be different, you know, 15 years ago or 15 years from now, but what are they for the next five years? And what we identified was that core principles of information systems, which is where technology you know, is designed and developed from. Uh, and uh, we identified data analytics was being a key area uh, and digital transformation. So th those, those the, the key elements. And then it was about, well, what about this other soft skill management set that they said it was needed? So we there and then we formed a new term because you need these things. And <laughs> instead of it being T-shaped, we called it uh, T-shaped plus. So the plus being the communication skills, the problem solving, the team working skills. So then we decided to develop a program around how can we incorporate um, those elements together. Uh, and I guess that, that was the key challenge. Uh, so our program was very much, it's incorporated lots of group work. I don't know if you remember, mm -hmm. there's lots of elements group work working with organizations so whilst I had the companies with me in helping me design the program uh, I I said well I'm gonna ask you to do something for me not only just this but since you've got all these great opinions about you know the structure and the format and what should be included how about you also come in and incorporate yourself within the program in one way or another and it all really depending on the type of resources they had available, but we have uh, some organizations that are embedded in terms of developing a case study as part of the assessment for a student for a particular course unit um, to on the other end of it, which is that they come in and they maybe present a guest lecture and mm -hmm. everything in between. So as an example, on the very first day, uh, I, I remember it was Monday morning, um, the first session that students would have on the first course would be sponsored by a, a large investment bank and they would come in and they would I'd written a case study with them they would come in and they would pitch in and students would put into groups and you know a lot of 18 year olds have never ever worked on a group project before yeah. um, and I guess I don't know what it'd be really interested to find out actually what it is that students at 18 are thinking about university and or indeed the career mm. um, what's what's it like to work in industry but rarely do they think I'm going to be working with teams a lot and it's not just about my own individual skill sets so we try to embed that really early on and getting getting them used to working with other people but also with industry 
and the comfort that comes from that, that knowing that you have something to offer. So you mentioned earlier that you graduated 10 years ago and there wasn't many companies. No, ten, yeah, it's 20, actually 13 years ago. 13 years ago. Wishful thinking, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to offer you a job. Well, not quite. But I do want to talk to you about Spectrum Digital. We are a business that is growing. We're an exciting business and we're a business that is looking for top talent. We've got a great team here that are passionate about business, technology and automation. We're passionate about making people's lives easier at work. And we're looking for people that are like-minded to come and join the team. If that sounds like you, then slide into my DMs. Let's have a conversation. And I may well be offering you a job. Well, for me, I graduated uh, my bachelor's in 99. So that was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. I feel a bit old saying that. <laughs> but I don't recall engaging with an organization. Uh, I don't recall leaving university feeling I had the skill set to go to a company and mm. feel like I could contribute. And I think that was also the feeling that my friends uh, and cohort felt as well. And people would get jobs, it's fine, but never felt comfortable that. It was almost like you were also told when you arrived at that company, now you start learning. Mm. So my approach was, I want my students to, to command a fee for their services and for companies to look at them and say, oh, you know, that they're really, we need to get them and the students to be able to say, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna add value from day one to your organization and you don't need to look after me for a year and get me to develop, I'm already quite there. And we, we've kind of seen that transformation of our program and uh, on the outside of it, the students that are coming out, we've got 100% employability, uh, year after year, the students are quite, I'd say quite phenomenal uh, and the average salary for a graduate in the UK is like 26, 27,000. Our grads are getting anywhere between 37 to, to 50 in their first year of graduation. So th there's the numbers kind of speak for themselves that companies are coming to me and I'm telling them, I don't have any more grads for you this mm. year. So that demand is there and it's driven by, obviously by the companies coming in and helping transform the program, but the students, working continuously over the three, four year of the program with industry on real case studies, on real problem and challenges, and then presenting that back in a real world. We try to get it as close to real world uh, kind of experience by getting them to present their solutions back and so on, putting them under a lot of pressure. Um, and it'd be interesting, Will, mm. from your perspective, coming in as, as an 18 year old, because a lot of 18 year olds don't really have an idea of their career trajectory of, of where they want to be. Mm. Um, I mean, some do, but a lot don't. And I guess I've personally seen a shift from where fees were introduced. So mm. it was at first it was, you know, a thousand pounds, three thousand pounds and so on. And eventually, uh, was it 2012, it, it ended up being nine, nine mm, and yeah. a half thousand yeah. pounds. So now when you're applying to university as a student, and I see the students coming in on open days and visit days, there is a little bit more behind the questions, there's a bit more meaning, they're, they're thinking to themselves, this is not just a degree, I'm not coming just to have a great time, although that is part of the mm. experience, but it's also what strikes a chord is when you start explaining to them, these companies are here, they're gonna be targeting you, you're gonna be working with them, and by the way, 100% of our students have got jobs and this is the salary and you see, you know, parents' jaws drop and go, 
investment, isn't it? It's, it's an investment, yeah, because you're getting yourself into debt. Yep. So you need to be conscious of that. And we, as academics, have to be responsible for that as well. We can't just be saying, come and do this course. You're at a great institution like the University of Manchester. There's the exit door. Thanks very much for your time and money. Mm. It's, it's a responsibility on my shoulders as well to say, you're coming in. I'm going to ensure that you get the best experience that I can possibly provide you and ensure that at the end, you won't feel what I felt when I graduated all those years ago. You're going to feel that you've got something to provide, some value to give to an organization um, and feel that you can go into the world and do something with your life, whether, whether it's that or something else. You're in the same game as every other business in that you're selling a product at the end of the day and that product is people like Will, <laughs> who, who are fantastic talent coming out of that organization and into businesses like ours mm -hmm. what what was your experience or more, or more what do you think the difference was for you will coming out of university compared to your friends because presumably you must have had mates that were not doing the same course was it yeah. were they similar or was there a difference yeah i think i had kind of friends at you know the same university on different courses same university in the business school different university business schools and whenever you talk to anyone it was very different overall um I think, like Ali said, the investment in bringing in employers that are recognisable, especially at the age of 18, you know, there's the certain companies who you know have household products, you know, mm. you recognise them straight off off the bat where you don't have to have industry knowledge. I think as an 18-year-old, wide-eyed, kind of moving to a new city, those immediately recognisable companies are attractive. Um, I can imagine the same for the parents as well when, when, when you bring those in. So I think for us, we always felt different at university and having that investment from employers but at the same time it wasn't um it was understood that you, we needed to put the hard work in to make the most of that i think <laughs> ali would would say you know rightly so you've brought in these employers you're kind of putting your neck on the line it's your relationship with them we need to perform we need to put the effort in mm. um hence why we were there practicing our presentations in the business school at whatever time in the evening the day before trying to get it right because you want it to do well and mm. there was this immediate kind of from day one this immediate feeling of these employers are coming in this is an opportunity to get your name out there um they're not going to offer you jobs on the spot but it's one of those things you're hoping that oh if i make a good impression later down the line when i come to apply they might recognize my name or recognize yeah. my face and that kind of thing um so i think in a, in a market where grad schemes and grad jobs are all uh, kind of notoriously scarce and hard to get um like Ali said, hearing the stats around 100% employability always felt special. Pretty and attractive. Yeah, pretty attractive. And, and one that I personally wanted to make the most of, I think the rest of the guys on the course did as well. And it wasn't really a course of, um, I'm gonna, I want to go to you and I don't know what to do. Um, it was, I want to go to you and I want to do that course kind of mm. thing and go straight for it. Whereas I had friends um, who want to go to you, don't know what they do and they do a more generic course. Whereas this was generic in the sense of, um, like you said, we're teaching you a variety of skills that are going to get you into X, Y, Z jobs. It wasn't super specific, but at the same time, it was people who wanted to learn those skills specifically. So it's specific for the people, I think, not necessarily the, the jobs you can go into. So, um, yeah, it definitely felt different. And, and I think coming out of the other side, we're, we're very fortunate to, to have had that experience. The 100% employability, that's... Just talk to me about that. What does that actually mean in practice? What's the definition of that? So what universities do is that they get... Uh, 
they have to report how uh, the number of students from a particular degree who have a job uh, within 18 months after graduation within that in area that they studied in. Um, so it's called the Delhi. It used to be within six months. And then if you go on the website, so you're applying for a, for a job, uh, sorry, uh, if you're applying for university, you would see that kind of Delhi start. You'd see a couple right. of stats. Uh, one of them is the National Student uh, uh, Survey Score uh, or for Satisfaction, the NSS. Uh, it gives you an indication of whether people are happy with the, uh, the students were happy with the, with the, with the course. Um, another stat to look out for is the Delhi, which tells you uh, the, the percentage of students who were employed uh, within that area uh, within 18 months. Like I say, it was six months and we were hitting it as well 100%, but then they, ch they made it easier for everybody else <laughs> uh, by moving it to 18 months. And essentially all that happens is that somebody will ring you up uh, within that period and say, um, can you tell me whether you're employed or not? And they collect the data uh, on that. Um, so if a student of, of, um, of mine graduated and ended up working for Cafe Nero as a barista, it does not count. Mm. Um, so it's got to be within the uh, IT uh, business management sector. Um, so that's that's kind of a, some of the information to look out for because it's, it's a big decision to make when you're going to university. And a couple of areas, uh, I guess a couple of things prospective students look at would be the QS rankings or the Times Higher Education rankings or the Guardian rankings, identify which kind of universities are the best ones or the right ones for you. And then within that, you might look at some rankings for the, uh, for the schools. Um, but there isn't really a ranking system uh, by way of choosing the, the right program mm. for yourself between different institutions. It's quite interesting when you go and you buy literally any product or service in this day and age, you'll find there's reviews, mm. there's, you could rank, um, you could go on, I mean, on Amazon, right? You've got your star ratings, you've got the comments. It's very difficult and quite challenging for prospective students to get the right information that allows them to make appropriate and clear judgment call on what it is that they're getting. So they've, they've got this dilemma where they're paying a huge amount over over a three, four year period. Was it nine and a half thousand pounds? Up to 50, 60% of the students are international as well. Mm. And they're paying anywhere from 20 to 30,000 uh, pounds. On top of that, you've got your accommodation, which I don't believe is cheap anymore. Mm. Weirdly not. Was it ever? No. Same, <laughs> as, same as everything. <laughs> it's not cheap. Yeah, it's, it's, so that's uh, that's kind of gone up. Accommodation fees have gone up as the loan fees have gone up, oddly enough, to make sure they get it all off you. So you've got, you've got to make a huge investment over three or four years. So you kind of need to pick the right thing for you. So looking out for the NSS score, for the Delhi score, really, really key to just making sure our previous students, how did they do? And it's, it's a telltale sign. Um, so I think for my uh, my experience of that has been so our NSS score uh, when when I took over the program was at sixty four percent, which which it, which is isn't good, right? Mm. So on average you'd see them around maybe seventy to eighty percent, um, and we kind of finished it off when I um, when I stepped down as program director, uh, we finished on ninety three point five, which is kind of like one of the highest you could you, you could get. Um, and that's satisfaction uh, for the students. That's what the students were telling us at the end, that they were happy with it. Um, so it, it's key to look out for, for little bits of information that uh, universities have to 
put on their websites. Mm. But ideally, you'd want a scenario whereby that information was a lot easier to get hold of. Why is it not? Seems obvious to have a trip advisor for universities and courses. Why has that not happened? Well, the the government um, and I guess the Office for Students has been trying to make it a lot easier for students to gauge that information. So there's a there's been work on a on on a TEF, which is the Teaching Excellence Framework, which is a, a, a way where universities will get judged on how good their teaching is. Uh, and then they get, um, get gold, gold or silver or bronze rating, uh, and then students can then make a decision on that. But they're usually quite industry-wide. So at the University of Manchester, because it's such a large institution, uh, you could be doing something really well in one area and maybe not so well in the other area, but it's very difficult to then gauge mm. that. So you can make it narrower. So that the government has been working on this f for a good few years now, I'd say five or six years, and they've not got the the formula, the criteria that makes that score as accurate as, as it could be. Now the problem you've got on the other side, which is, you know, why why are universities not making it easy? In my opinion, it's perhaps down to if you've got quite a, a wonderfully esteemed university uh, that's focused a lot on research, which is the way a lot of the rankings show, it's how good the research is that's not really connected to the experience that those students will receive because mm. they're being brought in to teach. Yeah. Now, the argument universities traditionally have made is that the better we are at research, that all that knowledge will transfer to the students, but that's, you don't need to be doing the research to be good at getting that research out mm. to the students. Um, and there's no correlation between your ability to write excellent journal papers and your ability to teach. So it's kind of opposite ends um, but the way universities are set up is that uh, research places you on a ranking scale, especially in an international model where you're competing not just for home students, uh, but you're competing for international students from you know, Indonesia, China, wherever it may mm. be. So you're trying to get them to come to your uni. Now the rankings are based on research, so you're investing huge amounts on research, and uh, but the money that you bring in into your institution to make it tick it's primarily from teaching. Mm. So you've got these clashes of, of, of things that just things aren't quite right or aligned. And one of the key things that's happened over the last few years, we've seen the introduction of fees and the increases of those. And the last fee increase was in around 2012, where it was like 9,000 pounds. Now, a lot of things have changed since 2012. I know the cost of houses are more, we're talking today about the cost of cars. There's mm -hmm. a lot more. Everything has mm. cost a lot more than it did 10 years ago, mm. yet the fees are the same. Mm. So if, if universities are paying state fees, they're paying their staff, they're paying electricity and gas fees, they're all increased. Yeah. But the fees that the home students are paying is remain the same. So then how do you then ensure that you can provide the best facilities to, to keep the money uh, coming in so one thing you can do is you can't increase their fees but you can increase international student fees and you can bring in more international students to to kind of uh, pay for that mm. so what tends to happen is that we've seen a trend where universities are striking out more and more for the international students uh, to make up that so what I tell my students when they come in is often um, look at the, in, in, you know the international students in your course they are paying this much, mm. way more than you, 
reason you're getting your experience of this much um you might think it's a lot but it actually isn't mm. uh so you need to work really hard and appreciate the fact that you're here uh to straight away knock it out kind of knock it out of their heads that they they're here as customers they're not here as customers yes they're paying a fee but they need to make the most of it because mm. they're not paying the true value of that fee so it's it's a very difficult uh system that we've got in the uk's where you know students make the money but research is really important um and that's that's the difficulty so going back to the original question which was why are universities you know not making it easier or why is the system not easy because well the measure the the bigger institutions the older more grandest universities like the idea that it's focused primarily on research because that's what they're really good at and they don't want it to be about anything else because mm. it's it, it then doesn't make them look as good as they are and on on the flip side of that you've got uh, so the focus is on bringing the academics in that are really good at research but they've got to teach also uh, and what they don't want is a ranking to come out that shows all the big powerful institutions in the UK looking like they've got been bron uh, bronze award or silver award and seeing some of the maybe different types of institution post 92s uh, getting gold for teaching because then maybe students might think hold on I maybe I don't need to mm. go to somewhere in Ingenbridge yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oxbridge type or yeah. uh, you know uh, the, the big I guess the um, the Russell groups uh, would be would be you know conscious of that uh, being ranked a little bit lower than say a Coventry or a Huddersfield or a, or a Hull even mm. um, and that that's the concern that they have I'm not I'm not suggesting in, in any way that there's uh, there's that systems being rigged or anything like that, but it's just is a very difficult system to measure. How do you measure uh, one particular program when there's thousands of programs within a inst university institution? Mm. So it's a difficult challenge, um, and it's not one that anyone's managed to identify a way of doing in a sensible way mm. at the moment. So the jury's still out. Hi guys, just jumping in. I want to talk about one of the services we offer, which is robotic process automation, also known as RPA. That is software that replicates human behavior. So if you've got people downloading spreadsheets, attaching them to emails, going on portals, downloading information, moving data around, all that stuff is perfect for a robot. So if that's interesting, get in touch. Let's have a chat. Let's see if we can help. Enough from me. Back to the conversation. One of the things that clearly you do well is, is inspiring that kind of generation, I guess every generation that comes through, but... It strikes me, I, I always think that I'm 25 and, and then I look in the mirror and see a load of grey hair and realise I'm nearly 40. Uh, and I went out for lunch with my team last last week and I'm sat there thinking, it's just this is a completely different generation to, to what I know. And as a as a leader, I have to think, how do I how do I inspire that generation? So I guess I'm asking you for your advice. What 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 does good look like? Well, how do you get the best out of 22, 23 year olds in today's world? I'm not sure how I do it, or even if I do do it. But I remember. I think you do. From speaking to Will, he, 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 I hope I don't embarrass you, but you, he speaks as a very inspirational character, and, and I can see that already. So, what what is it about what you do? Do you think that creates that? Personally, for me, I never forgot the experience I had at university. So the reason I came back to academia to become an academic was
was to ensure that whoever crossed my path would have a better experience than I than I had. Mm. So that was like my main motivation. I didn't want anyone feeling the way I did when I left and thinking, well, I've got a degree, but what does it mean? And mm. uh, th this is not the passport I thought it was to a career. Uh, and so I'm very keen on ensuring that my students do feel valued, do feel like they've got something to give and they feel confident to go out there and challenge the system organizations and processes and be a voice and have a, a good market value for their services and their skills uh, and I remember coming in many years ago uh, it's, it's my 10th year in academia um, I remember coming in 10 years ago and it was easier to it was a lot easier to be able to understand where they were coming from because mm. of the age difference well, it's still a lot but <laughs> it's a lot more now so i i had a good idea as to what teaching was was like for me and maybe how i wanted it to be and to, to make those changes but even something as simple as i play music um before the start of my lecture just to get everyone calm and i'd be playing music and everyone would be yeah i know that song and <laughs> now I, I play music and they're nodding along and they're going but dad's got this album <laughs> and it's like yeah okay so there was a time when i'd be able to have a chat with them and go oh yeah. you know they're they're playing in in town next week and, oh we're, go we're gonna get tickets and now it's like oh my dad went to see them last week and it's like yeah so i get a lot of so i can feel the gap is growing and i guess the language is changing but um i have no idea um what it is that i do that gets them to I, I think I think one thing that you that you do do is you don't. It, it, it felt like a very level playing field, so you didn't you know, talk down talk down to your students. Um, it was never kind of I'm the I'm up here I'm the, I'm the lecturer I'm the professor and you're the students. You will listen to what I say. I think you're always very open to challenges in the in the sessions. I think you're always very open to opinions and you bounce things around between us. Um, it wasn't what I say is gospel and that's it kind of thing um, which again it kind of reflects what I think is quite a positive culture in a workplace if you are a more senior person um, saying something whatever it may be and you're saying don't challenge me what I say is gospel that that's not a positive mm -hmm. culture um, whereas again compared to um, other friends that I've had on, on courses that r roughly speaking was how it was um, and granted, I think they are on bigger courses, so they might have a couple of hundred people on, on it, which is a little bit dif difficult to balance. But on ours, we had 30-odd, less. Yeah, our programme, uh, between 30 and 50 students. Yeah, so I think within that class, you felt like you could have a voice, you felt like you could speak up, and that was kind of encouraged. Mm. Um, likewise, again, on that course, we did things out of uni, which created more of a culture, um, a more of a... Um, I guess a spirit between between everyone which um again when you hear I told Steve we had kind of a Christmas do on our course yeah. mm. unheard of I think really at university courses um we weren't given a, other university courses aren't given a budget to go out and spend higher somewhere and I think all that went towards creating everyone make everyone more comfortable and more um there's a sense of identity isn't yeah it? exactly uh, which is one of the key things I wanted to do when I when I came in was to so we 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 have we have so the program's called ITMB and we we created our ITMB society mm -hmm. um, and 
time, I think the, f- the, f- the f- first part of the society was it had a very small budget and there was only four roles within the society, you know, like your, uh, social secretary and president and so on, mm. and finance director. And for me, the society was really, I, my plan was to make it my right arm, um, kind of your captain on the, on mm. the pitch, if you like that analogy. And so it was about how can I create more roles and not because the society necessarily needed a lot of roles, but to give people opportunities to take responsibility for the program. So I think we ended up with like 10 roles for the program and I created different roles and different activities. And then it was about how can I get money into the society so then we use the companies that we engaged with to get them to sponsor the students, Mm. um, various amounts to do various things. And then it was then giving those students who, I guess, volunteered or applied for those roles, the opportunity to lead uh, and to lead their cohorts uh, and, and do various activities. Uh, and every year is slightly different. You know, the, the, some do this, that differently and some go to town on, you know, social sporting activities and it didn't really matter. Um, but it was about driving that culture of change within that community to say, you know, we're, I used to always refer to it as a family. Mm. So when you've come into the program, we're now a family. Um, you, you don't always, you know, get to, you know, you don't always like your brothers and your sisters, but we're a family, we're a professional uh, group as well. Um, so we're going to hang out together. And my aim was really to get them to get an identity and mm. a sense of belonging to a place for three or four years so simple things like um getting the hoodies so you can get manchester university hoodies you can get manchester business school hoodies but i didn't and my students could go and do that but i didn't want them to have a sense of belonging to forty thousand mm. students they yeah. already had that i wanted them something a little bit smaller our own little um community so we got itmb hoodies um, and then you, you saw my students would only wear ITMB hoodies and it would separate them from uh, from the rest of them, but they were a little gang. Mm. And that allowed them to work together because I knew they were going to work a lot together, so they needed to know each other a lot more. And a lot of emphasis was placed in the first three months to do as many activities with them, um, whether it was sports or whether it was social. But it was like, okay, we've got a budget for the year. And I'd have the second year's run the society each year so I've got the first years coming in I need the first years to know the second years and the final years because often you go through your degree program and you don't know the people above you or below mm. you um, and it was a sense that no you, you're coming in you're in a cohort of 40 or 50 or whatever it might be the number but you're actually you've got additional cohorts above and they're going to support you and it's really important for you as a first year to know the students who are in the final year because those final years are going to graduate then when you come to me and say I'm interested in applying for this company and I'll say well actually did you know Mm. that Amy also works there and if you know Amy guess what Amy's going to help you she's going to give you advice she'll open the door she she might even um, put your name forward so I drilled it in really early to them the importance of having that connection knowing people Um, and in order to achieve that was okay we're going to have to have a lot of socials we're going to need to get people out get them out of their comfort zone do lots of activities with them and it was a lot easier when I was younger because I could 
easily go out and stay out with them till you know two three in the morning and as i got older that number just got <laughs> earlier and earlier to the point where i was just turning it up staying for the first hour um and saying oh i've got to go now <laughs> and, and not having a drink uh, and so on but yeah that was really key to yeah. just uh, yeah and i think that definitely probably is the answer to one of your other questions is 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 how do you do that i think creating that relationship between first and final years is mm. huge because again typically at uni they're in completely different stages of their lives if you're 18 moving to uni, i was only just 18 when i moved to uni you're super young mm. you're bright eyed moving to a new city and a final year as might have done a couple of years at uni industrial placement perfectly comfortable living by themselves now looking for career prospects they're in theory two very different people but if you've managed to create a link between them they can offer advice the final years can offer advice to um the first years and mm. i think again that mirrors the workplace in a work in a workplace you're you're encouraged to speak to other people you go to your manager not going to tell you every answer for every question you've got it's mm. go and speak to this person they've got this experience go and speak to this person uh oh someone wants to speak to you about xyz and again i think it was those kind of and you don't appreciate the time but it's a subliminal kind of um ethics and and cultures within this within the course i think we had and like you say having a identity with the hoodies is literally what we do mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, like it allows you to belong to something um and i think makes you more invested in where you are and, and where you work so yeah I, I agree i'm listening here thinking yeah empowering people is mm. important to us building a community yeah. and Genuinely, building like a tribe yeah. you know that's we were talking about it as a tribe i think that's really important yeah. um and the network you know yeah. the net, network is so mm. important in business I don't know if you remember, I think when you were in the second year and we got the first years to come in on the first day, mm -hmm. you guys, you and the society team had put gift bags together, mm -hmm. so little bits mm -hmm. to, to say, you know, we're here, we care. Um, and I had I always have a little speech planned, you know, to say for each of the items that are in the bag, they're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just it was just nice to get the second years and the final years who were in the room to tell the first years about the journey you know to contact them uh to, to chat with them to lunch with them but here's a gift from us to you mm. and that was that was a small investment on behalf of the society but i remember you know you've got uh just trying to think what items we had in the bag but they're all little things that might seem trivial to some or to say, oh, maybe some people in academia might look at that and say, oh, that's just nonsense. What does that even mean? But I think they really help to bridge the gap mm. between the different years to make people feel wanted and that they're in, they've arrived in the right place where mm. they should be uh, and give them that sense. Um, so I remember, oh, I'm trying to remember the items we had, but I remember we packs of Smarties, mm -hmm. um, I think we had like a a pen rubber um there was a variety of snacks and and things and i remember the, the students had done a war planner of uh, top 30 things you could do in a month in manchester all that and they'd done it themselves mm -hmm. um they printed it all out and stuff but then i remember going through my speech and saying you know mm -hmm. the rubber's there to know that you make mistakes like everybody else or the smarties are there because you're you're really smart to be here and really excited but the, we tied it all in and then we'd do I remember even when they first arrived, we do the uh, the the quest around campus. Mm -hmm. 
the treasure hunt. The treasure hunt kind of thing. Yeah, it? and we'd written these really naff uh, little rhymes, and they had to work out where they had to go, uh, and just forcing them to do activities wherever they went. So the, the, they're not they're nothing like amazing, but they're just little things that you can do, and mm. um, and it's just learning from other practices from mm. elsewhere, and just bring it into the classroom, and just say, well, how can we make people feel more comfortable mm. and by the way dinner's at six o'clock or pizza's arriving at yeah. at four and then we're going to go bowling yeah. yeah i think that that that's the way i'd like to think a lot more courses will go i think it's a more old-fashioned outlook to say look you're coming here to learn mm. that's it again it's the same as companies company culture is changing i think academic culture is probably changing as well it um, needs to change yeah um, yeah when i arrived i remember asking uh, the academics that were there at the time um I need, I need some employers to come in. I want to enhance the way I do it. Could you could you let me know what alumni we have that's available to come in? And it was just like, don't really have it. We don't we don't stay connect. You know, we don't connect with the alumni. Mm. The, 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 they come, they go. Um, what do you mean connect with them? You know, I mm. was like, and I, I know we have an alumni office at the university, but at a local level, um, the academics didn't know or weren't in touch with any of the alumni that come from mm. the previous years and I was thinking to myself hold on if you'd stayed in touch with these group of students and you'd help them uh, they're probably senior managers now of mm. some of these organisations not only can they come in and provide lots of expertise but they can move mountains for you mm. they can open doors for your students so then that became like I guess a long term goal for me and I, would, I remember saying to you guys mm. I'd, I'd run these biennial showcases where employees come in and the students present to them and they were they were quite large i had 20 i think 27 30 companies come in um, twice a year uh, kind of big affairs uh, and i remember saying my my thought was at some point my students will be the ones that are in this room not these employees that i've you know sweated to get and mm. traveled up and down the country to negotiate with them to come in at some point this is going to get easier and I remember when, when I stood down and looked at the room and I was giving my farewell speech and, and so on, and I think perhaps 80% of the employees were ex-students, alumni, yeah. uh, and they're coming back and they're putting in. And I always, you know, they always say to me, ah, oh, can we thank you? And, you know, back of my head, thinking Rolex watch. But, <laughs> but, but really, I'm, I'm thinking, I'll, I'll just say to them, you know, you don't have to do anything for me just when you get a call to come and support a course or a student or someone is sent your way help them out of the way yeah i helped you out of the way someone from the third year helped you out when you were in the first year or the second year mm -hmm. and just pass it on you don't mm -hmm. have to uh, do anything for me and we've seen that i think mm -hmm. we see it all the time now brilliant absolutely love that do you do you see any difference in terms of the generations coming through you so say you've had 10 years of this yeah do is each generation different or are we all the same when we're 18, 19. I can, I can definitely see a difference between today's students and the ones before the fee increase. Okay. Chalk and cheese, right? Mm. So different. Much more switched on in terms of coming in and knowing what they want to do afterwards. Whereas before you'd pick your degree... And I had friends when I was at university and in the first year you meet them and you say, oh, what are you doing? I'm doing history. And then you see them in the second year, you know, how's how's your history course going? And you go, I'm doing art now. Uh, <laughs> and then the following year, you're like, oh, I'm doing photography and film. Um, because there was no cost associated yeah. to it. 
now, with it being what it is, it's a horrendous amount of money. Now people are beginning to think about, okay, what you know, what do I need to do to get to where I need? What's where's my career path in this? Mm. And you you hear that in the open and visit days, that they're, they're interested. Um, and I always say, you know, if you want to come and do this particular program, which is very specific, is technology management. Um, it's is for people who who want to lead. I make a big deal about it. I say, you know, if you want to do if you want to do computer science, you know, just go over there, go over there. That's that's fine. If you want to be a coder, go over there. That's there's a building crossroad. They'll take you. Mm. If you're not sure what you're doing, you know, you can do general management. But if you want to lead, and you want to lead in an innovative industry where technology is driving change, then think about that. You know, that this is where you want to be. And then I'm not trying to sell the program to the masses. The program doesn't work if there's 100 students yeah. on the program. So I'm, I'm looking for very specific individuals that want to come and work hard towards a specific goal. So that makes it a little bit easier because um, it's not a generic program and we do have generic programs where people can come in and aren't quite sure what they want to do and they'll find the way in the end um, but this is a bit more specific but the students are different they're a bit more um, bit more switched on in terms of more shark like they want to do get the most not everybody there's always a tail yeah um, but there's there's definitely more drive uh, what I've noticed in the last few years as well there's a lot more students who've got part-time jobs as well Really, a lot of my students have got part-time jobs. Um, did you have a part-time job? Uh, briefly, yeah. yeah, not very long, so good balance it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's challenging because you got you got yes, yeah. difficult program. You got lots of industry involvement. You got lots of big consultancy projects within that, and you know a lot of the students uh, will be working till seven a.m. at nine, nine o'clock at night as a group within the university. So, one of the key things we did which again really added to that sense of community was we we got our own room and it again it you just think oh you know we will, so what it's a lot of the work that my students do you know they're on they're, some kind of software is used mm -hmm. or they're working in teams so we needed a lab that was just for my students because we didn't like the idea of them going coming in and maybe so, there's no space for them to do the work so we said all right we want we want a room that's just for them. It's got to be only accessible to them. And we want to be able to bring the first year, second year, final years together in a room, in a community type room that's kind of relaxing and comfortable and they can meet and they can just work there. That's that's mm. their office space, if you like. And traditionally, lab space has always been in roles, computer roles. Mm. Um, so when we got the space in the new school, um, they said, okay, how, we've got these designs. And I remember seeing them and there was just rows of PCs. And I just went. That's not. Mm. That's not how we want to do it. Maybe there's an alternative way of doing it because we, a lot of um, projects are in groups of four and five, so maybe having pods of four and five it probably lends itself a bit better to to the roles. So I opened it up to the students. So I said to them, "Look, we've got the space. I had pictures of the space, and I said, uh, can you go away and design me what you would consider to be a really comfortable space?'" So the students went, they came back, they had drawings and slides and they presented it to me and said, this is what we want. They had like sofas in the corner, TV, mm. uh, board games and uh, white, uh, lots of whiteboards for their project work and they had an explanation for everything. Mm. So I said, you know, justify why you want these things. So then I presented 
uh, kind of their designs to the school and they went off and the school was absolutely brilliant they went and paid for it and they designed it so you walk in the room now you've got lots of soft seating area whiteboards everywhere very relaxed atmosphere there's no canoe or a phone box <laughs> and you've seen some of the funky companies there's Sleep no slides or something. yeah there's none of that but um everything's been designed with a purpose in mind so you've got pods of five uh islands of five for the where they work on the project so they stay close together um and you know the, the cost was a lot more so instead of having rows of pcs all facing the front mm. you've now got people who depending on where they sit the front could be here or there so we've had to get four projectors mm. right okay. so the cost is more but it lends itself so because the environment's so warm and friendly and people go in people go in there all the time mm. so it's always busy and you'll see a first year sat next to a second year sat next to a yeah. final year and the chit chatting the since queen's gambit came out uh the most popular game from the cupboard is, is chess so there's a couple of chess boards out um so people are playing that in between breaks there's backgammon going on really? um there's so i just took a budget uh and we identified a, a, you know 20 board games or whatever it was and i just went to some charity i just took an afternoon went to drove around some charity shops picked up a bunch of games put it in the cupboard and so when, when you come in when they're relaxing between work or between lectures they'll get to know one another and again it's it's not a big deal is not really expensive it's not difficult to do but again it adds to that what i'm trying to achieve was get that sense of community so they they know each other love that chessboard yeah, need no, to get a chessboard in the downstairs. office yeah noted love that idea did you play chess no <laughs> here's your chance to yeah. uh, cool alright um, want to just just go back to what you said around you, you did that questionnaire with companies and they talked about T-shaped people in terms of general management yep. but a couple of specialisms in terms of technology mm. I'm intrigued what, what are those kind of specialisms you said around data and information systems that, is that right that, is that the kind of up and coming trends or is the blockchain and AI and all that stuff going on as well it, it, it's interesting because I, I guess if I was to do the survey again yeah. now for, for the next five years especially with the with the craziness around AI, we might we might get different um, different responses from from the companies. Mm. Um, but at the time, uh, I've, I've got my list here. So yeah, machine learning AI was part of it. Business analysis. I was a bit disappointed. I was like the fourth item, and <laughs> that's, that was my speciality. But yeah, it was around at the time. It was around data analytics, uh, machine learning AI, um, project management. Right. Um, so then it, it it became a key. You know. Traditionally, how do you teach project management? Well, you have a course called project management. You invite students in, you tell them about, this is how a big project runs, this is how a small project, these are the challenges, this is how you do it, right? Mm. We thought, okay, we don't need a project management course unit. What we need is a course where they go and do some project stuff and they actually do it. Mm. So then that became fundamental to, to the principle of our program, which is experiential learning. So instead of, teaching our students this is how you do things just get them to do it mm. and we've then applied that across uh, across the entire program so if you want them to learn about something um let's let's get them so for example uh, go and design an application mm. uh for an organization uh so there they're working as a team they design, they're <coughs> getting requirements they're going and speaking to people from industry identifying their needs mm. um and at the same time, they don't know 
they don't realize it because they've got this goal of I'm going to design the best app and get it to work and I'm coding and working with my team they're actually managing the project mm. and we tell them about all the things they need to do but just not been too obvious with it uh, so in the first semester when I was teaching the unit I wouldn't tell them anything about project management I would tell them I would I thought you can't tell an 18 year old anything they're not going to listen <laughs> they're just going to hack at it if you tell them these are the you know principles that you've got to follow to ensure your project's successful you go yeah yeah, yeah. theory I'll just get it done mm. right so you let them kind of get in the pool without any lessons and you just watch them struggle to get to the other end and then after the Christmas break when they've done a semester of it and they've presented their work to the industry and they've kind of understood in the back of their head where they've gone well and where they've messed up they're more likely to listen to you mm. so then in the second semester you get the principles out you go right what did we do before okay right have you tried it oh no we've not tried it that way let's try it that way let's see what happens so it's like working again in partnership with students to get them to where you want it to be rather than to be this is what the book says it's not the way I, I don't learn that mm. way I learn by doing things I don't know about yeah the same uh, that was definitely evident when we did it I remember it was a case of you're gonna go present this and the message was you're gonna hate it you're gonna be bad at it we're all sat there we were bad at it we did hate it but then you learn from it and you i think you said something like you know you look back on your first year presentation and it'll be an absolute shambles compared to what it'd be like in the final year mm -hmm. and as an 18 year old you, you're right you're there thinking well, just just teach me i want it like all right whatever but then you as you get older and you go through these you do appreciate the almost a lesson learned from been thrown in the deep end mm -hmm. um and been taught the value of those teachings rather than just being taught it straight off the bat where you'd probably just say okay great scrub it on your book and then not use it so i think using it um not being told how to use it after uni but using it while you're at uni with those big employers doing those projects and then like you say presenting it straight back to them it, you got that full cycle of really what project delivery is like same as what we do mm. you get the requirements you go and you build it you get the requirements signed off and you delivered it kind of thing the exact same um so i think that definitely put us in good in, in good boots coming out of uni I think it's very difficult to teach someone something when they don't understand why mm -hmm. they're being taught it and you could say oh this is really good for you for your future you know, mm -hmm. but if they don't truly believe why they're doing it they're not going to take it on board so yeah. it's about putting students in a position where they appreciate and understand the why and you've got to create a scenario by which they feel they need to know the why and then once they get that sense of, I need to know why I've gone wrong and why a different way would be better, then it's then teaching just becomes really easy because then mm. they do turn up to your lectures, they are sat there, they're involved, they're engaged. But if you're trying to get the principle of, you know, this is you know, fundamental, you know, this model, and they're sat there not knowing why it is important, why should they care? Yeah, I, I keep looking back 13 years ago when I was at university, it was a lot of big lecture halls 150 people in it woman at the front talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something and mm. it's just it sounds like a very very different experience to, to, to what you give students which is amazing um, I wish I could go back 10 years and do it all again <laughs> um, we, we ask a question to each guest um, which is what does tomorrow's workplace look like so cast your mind forward 10 years I'm going to slightly different for you what what does what does your course or what should courses look like for students in 10 years time versus today 
I would like to see the program students coming in and being from from day one being considered and seen as partners in the relationship with with academic studies so a removal of kind of like you're paying for a service so if you, if you went if you went to the barbers you're getting a haircut or something you would go and you pay your fee you sit down someone would cut your hair mm. and you're not really participating apart from lifting your head up or going a bit lower and it it needs to be a little bit like a kind of a gym membership model yeah you're paying a fee but you need to come and get involved in mm. order to, to get fitter and there needs to be that dialogue between the students and, and the institution by which they're uh, they're at to to get the best outfit so i think the student voice for me it's always been key but it's not not as big as it should be across the uh, across universities and i think that's what i would like to see is that idea that for me when i arrived it was i don't know what i'm doing you know not academically trained high school teachers are academically trained they've gone mm. in they've, they know how to teach uh, even even at college level but at university level you're there because you've got a PhD which has nothing to do with teaching mm. and no one's taught you how to teach and yet you're there to teach so my first I guess port of call was well, the students know how how they should receive stuff so I'll ask them mm. and they've guided me through the last 10 years of saying well you know we like this we don't like this this works for us and it's about listening to them to, to be to become I guess good at what you do so i would like to see that more manifest itself in programs locally institutionally uh, across the board and i think that that would definitely differentiate it because the results will will come through at the end and in terms of skill levels what kind of uh, technologies and, and so on i think the next ne next two two or three years depending on where AI and the big explosion that's been over the I guess I guess the last twelve months has mm. been mm. people have really like tuned into it. Yeah. And there's applicable uh, applications <laughs> out there that we can we can use. I think once that kind of settles and the hype element, I've been long enough in the IT industry to know there's lots of things that have come that have been massive and then they've kind of gone away and nothing has existed on the back of it, um, or very little has come about. So it's about letting the let the evolution take place um let's see what falls away and what re remains and what's actually applicable to industry and then we'll be able to look at that and say right these are the directions we need to go in it's very difficult at the moment to identify what what's what specific things that we need but some of the principles will remain the same ability to communicate to work as a team to solve problems uh to be adaptable to be personable um, to lead uh, like s something as simple as communicating mm -hmm. the students on the program from day one when they arrive and they want to do a presentation they turn up with their cue cards mm -hmm. and you know my rule on that what's my rule on that Will? don't have it <laughs> not allowed it <laughs> no. uh, we're going to have an issue if you're turning <laughs> up with cue cards so no cue cards and it's like well but that's how they do it it's yeah. like that's who, who does it yeah you're not doing it that way. You're gonna stand and you're gonna tell me your story. They go, oh, you want a story as well? You go, absolutely. I don't want to see your slides with lots mm. of text. You you gotta sell whatever you're selling, whatever you're presenting. You need to sell it. I want to I want to hear a story. I want to hear about Rapunzel. Uh, I want to hear. 
I want to hear you got to take me on a journey here and I'm without cue cards so mm. and they it's a struggle at first mm. and then they get better and better and then by the time they're in the final year and I could literally just shout their name and say stand up and give me a one minute presentation on chocolate in Australia and they'll stand up and give you a presentation mm. on chocolate in Australia because they've got they can do it they can st- and they can weave in a story because we've got them to do that some of those skills they're not going to go they're, they're not being replaced mm. they, you know that's still going to be needed um, and I guess the universities have to go back and then start thinking about with this explosion of technology with its analytics machine learning AI it, it's fundamentally will change the way we do things I find myself even as an academic with quite a busy schedule sitting down and when I've got to write an email and a large, I've got to write five emails, uh, quite important formal ones, chat GPT, write me out these things and then I'll come back to them in an hour and I'll check, edit them and then send them off. Mm. It saved me loads of time, lots Mm. of time. And okay, I've got to write a report. Uh, Okay, there's a skill to writing a report, but chat GPT will do it better than I'm going to do it. Uh, so I'll get it to write for me and then I'll edit it so then those skill sets are changing mm. so when we're getting our students to write essays do I need my students to write essays because A they're going to ask ChatGPT to write their essays in their courses mm. for them There's no way of detecting it so what am I going to do pretend that they're not asking ChatGPT <laughs> to, the, to write their essays for them they're 1500 word discussion on whether AI will impact society in a certain way mm. or can I get them to work with the technology that's there to enhance the way they might approach mm. something so again what are the difficulties and challenges around assessment at university I could talk about this for another hour or so which I, which I, I promise I won't <laughs> uh, but then it becomes uh, you know how do I then get them to think critically uh, when the ability to write critically to get them to, to, to hone in those skills are taken away by the fact that the technology is there. So there'll be other ways of doing it and we have to sit down then as academic institutions and as academics and how can I how can I ensure that they've got that skill set but without the traditional ways of doing it because you can't ban chat GPT, you mm. can't ban AI from coming into the classroom. You've got to inha- you've got to you've got to get on board with it use it as a tool isn't it not a replacement yeah, yeah exactly so that so then that's the challenges over the next few years of these technologies how can we incorporate them in the way we do things rather than try to ban them and pretend they're not there which i, I know some institutions are, are doing and just from speaking to students from, from across um across the different institutions that I come uh chatting with and they're saying oh you know my institution said um don't do it because they're going to detect it i don't want to fail and and it's like, mm. all right, well, you, we can't detect it at the moment. And uh, admittedly, it's a skill set that that was a really simple way of getting them to uh, to develop. But unfortunately, that boat sailed. Same with the internet, right? It was mm. like, oh, World Wide Web. They're going to yeah. get information from all sources. They're not going to go library and they're going to get the answers here. And it's like, so we didn't ban the internet, did we? No. We just got on with it. I think you're absolutely right. Got to Got to work with it. Uh, and we use it day to day ourselves mm-hmm. you know, for writing emails you know, writing parts of proposals stick mm-hmm. it in chat GPT and, and work with it as a tool mm-hmm. so brilliant Ali thank you so much for coming on I've thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, yeah we'll have to get you back on again thank, thank you, you very, very much. much thank you for having me today it's been it's been absolutely wonderful